Retro Rebel Gamecast, episode 45, is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash Toddcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics for you, the listeners. Retro Rebel is released every week, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com, iTunes, or Stitcher. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. What's going on? Welcome back. I'm back. Amanda was on vacation <laughs> slash work slash what, work what? slash another vacation. <laughs> so how are things? I'm actually away like next weekend as well. I'm going to Belgium. Well, of course, naturally in Europe, those are things you can do. Exactly. I'm just here living my best life in my little like, hippo robe. You know, your best life. Life's all good. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it's all good. I've, yeah, tell, tell us what you've been doing. I've been playing loads of things. I was texting you guys this weekend. So essentially, every once in a while, I think it's important to go through your like catalog of downloaded games and just see if you're ever going to play some of that stuff. Because I find that Games with Gold and similar sort of things, you download it saying, like, ooh, it sounds like a good idea, I'm going to play this. And then you never open it or play it. So, in really quick succession, I'm going to go through everything that I played this weekend that filled me with sadness. All right. So, one, ReCore. General impression, meh. It's got, like, a mechanic where you collect orbs by, like, doing acrobatics and things like that. There's a lot of, like, acrobatic puzzle situation, which I hate already. Um, two, the dog is adorable, but you know he's going to die. Like I have, I didn't even beat the game, and I just knew it was going to happen. And then the combat is really, really clunky, and there seems to be no difficulty setting. So you're hitting it kind of like full speed, right. and uh, ain't nobody got time for that. So my impression of Recore is is meh. Is meh. Uh, um, yeah. Then I played Zombie. That's Zombie with no E on the end, like Zombie. Right. Initially. I was like, hell yeah, it's set in London. I was already in the tube, we're underground, we've got a bunker, blah, blah, blah. And then it very clearly was like almost like a guided experience. I didn't even make it through the tutorial because I just felt like everything was kind of corridor-based, right. and I'm not about that life. <laughs> um, like there, I got the impression because there was like the option to like board up doors and blah, blah, blah. I was like, mm, this is not my sort of game. Like, it's not like a community building or anything like that. It just seemed like it's going to be like a run right. scenario, just like run away and try to board up doors. So I didn't even make it through the tutorial. I played that for like five minutes and I was like, no, thanks. And it was kind of like slow and not super intuitive and it controlled a bit clunky. So boring. Um, then Warhammer Vermintide filled me with rage. So I've never played a Warhammer game before. Yeah. And 
you open up this game and you get a really beautiful cutscene. I got super excited about it because like there's like a mage class and then like a dude with shooty weapons and then an archer and a warrior dude. Like I was really excited. It looked like like typical RPG and I was like, ooh, this is gonna be a great story. I'm ready for it. Nope. It dumps you into like a town like tavern thing. And then you instantly go into a multiplayer match. Right. Oh wow. And like yeah, and when I went to the option screens, it was like play tutorial or whatever, but I thought I was on the tutorial because who just loads up a game and then instantly you're going. Right. So when when I got dumped into the match with all these people, like first off it was kind of slow, like the people, the characters moved very fast for the environment. I don't know how to explain that, but it didn't look very graceful. Right. You know, like when you're moving around Diablo, you're kind of like floating around, you know, right. like if you know how to control the characters, you can actually make it look halfway nice. No, this was just like jagged, jerky, like movement, spamming like a single attack. You know, it it wasn't for me. And there was like big lulls of where you were just traveling or like maybe there was one guy that you needed to kill to like trigger the next part and nobody could find him. So there's that. Um, and then the last thing that I played that was so lame was The Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing. Now, my brother recommended that I play this. It was a free game. I think it's still a free game um, on Xbox with gold. Um, but it's basically a budget Diablo with really bad controls. <laughs> so when... when I don't know what it is about Diablo that makes it a bit is easier to where your character is versus where the enemies and stuff are but with this one you just kind of got lost in the shuffle and i couldn't tell when he was actually executing attacks so i couldn't tell if maybe there's a cooldown or something like that but it didn't seem like he was attacking all of the times that i was pushing the button um and there was very little context i think i i think the idea was that you would have played the first one of these before because it seemed to be like a sequel. But yeah, no, it didn't control very well. It didn't fill me with confidence. And right off the bat, they had you do some sort of like search around to find the things to free these people from their cages sort of mission. And I was like, nope. <laughs> so that one got shut down within like 10 minutes. Um, and now I'm playing Far Cry Primal right now, which my husband really enjoyed, but I didn't play when he was playing it. So now I'm giving it a go. Really fun, like, you know, your typical Far Cry sort of thing where you've got, you know, hunting beasts and taking over settlements and all that sort of stuff. But I'm kind of into it right now. So we'll see how far that one takes me. And I've got, I think, Sims 4 coming in the post to me this week. Sims 4. Yes. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we won't be playing Sims. Well... It is extremely addictive. I haven't played Sims in a while. Um, I do remember playing it uh, and being less successful at life in that than I was in real life. So, not uh, wasn't my favorite game. Um, <laughs> I mean, like if it's yeah, I don't even, I don't even want to talk about it. Hard to get a job. Maybe there's hope for me yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so. Well, good. Well, uh, I have uh, played a few. Uh, I, have, I don't know that I've played as many as you have. Um, I did download a couple games. I mean, does it count 
just playing it when you like quit after ten minutes. I don't know. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does, it, especially if you okay. if you formulated an opinion that you definitely are not coming back <laughs> to it. You know, you're like, no, this is my this opinion is... was nope. Yeah, nope. All, all. Yeah, I think that that definitely qualifies. If you can get if you can get that sort of strength of an opinion, then yes, it counts. Um, I let's see. Um, I I played Fortnite for the first time. Um, and got uh, we played battle royale and I believe I was tenth uh, in my first go at it. Um, you know you're dumped in there with a hundred people. Uh, I got tenth. Full disclosure though, I killed no one. Uh, I just happened to survive that long. So take that for whatever it's worth. Um, and uh, yes, um, hold one second. We'll have to cut right here, of course. Sorry. All good. All right. Baby spitting up. Had to put out a fire. All right. Through the magic of editing, that wasn't even a break. So as I was saying, the, uh, the I've, I've been playing a bunch of games. I played Fortnite for the first time, um, which was fun. I've also... Uh, I've, I've, 
probably the game that I'm most interested in playing a little bit more. I've downloaded, I think, a couple of the games with gold um, that I'm going to try to get to later. But there are two games that I'm looking forward, really looking forward to playing right now that I don't have. And that's Monster Hunter, uh, Monster Hunter World, I believe it is, on PlayStation 4. Oh, that looks so cool. Yeah, I, 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 everything I've heard is, has been fantastic. And so uh, I, 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 am, I do want to pick that up, but I've heard it's brutal in terms of difficulty, and I may not have time for that either. I don't know. I'm going to take a look at it. Um, that one, and then there's a game that I, I kind of, I don't know, we may have discussed it in like a games we're looking forward to, and then it fell off my radar, but it's called Kingdom Come. It's an RPG set, yeah. in, yeah, set in, the, in the real world in terms of like medieval Europe, and oh. instead of there being like real... Like I don't even know that they're actually like wizards and anything like that. I think you. Just you're a have, wizard, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. There, it's it's like it's more realistic. So you maybe you become a knight, or maybe you know, and based on your decisions, it it certain skills get uh, on your skill tree. Like based on dialogue choices, it affects certain skills you get. Um, you know, I I just watched some gameplay of it. It seems up my alley in terms of RPG, but uh. But the game that I actually have been playing has been uh, Celeste. Celeste is a multi-platform release. It is a, uh, well, it is a platformer. So lots of jumping. Um, it, it supposedly, the reason I even got it is because on a couple podcasts that I listened to, I had heard um, some glowing reviews about it. Uh, like game of the year level reviews. And it's, you know, a 15, 19... Hello dollar game and so uh that's also kind of talking my language so if i was going to buy a game uh that's that's about what i wanted to spend right now so i did uh, i bought it and it is um I, I'm, I'm probably just not as good do you ever play super meat boy no i don't play those sort of things generally right well uh, we're talking about games that this this game celeste actually has a story super meat boy does but no one cares um, yeah. Celeste is is equally, if not more so, difficult in terms of like like figuring out what the puzzle is to get around. It's a platformer. Uh, you have basically the premise is you're climbing a mountain. Um, you don't. It doesn't really say why you're climbing the mountain at first, but you just decide that day you're going to climb the mountain. Um, and then. Uh, when you decide that you're going to, you tell your parents and then you're off. Once you're off, though, you start to, um, I don't know if you're hallucinating or whatever it is, but once you get just a portion of the way up the up the mountain, you meet the evil version of yourself. And you start having a conversation with yourself. And then, like, at every turn... Bad fountain. At every turn, like, every time you go to a new... you you reach the end of that particular platform and it switches screens and because it's basically following following you up as you as you platform up the mountain once you get to whatever the exit is or the opening on that screen it takes you to the next puzzle and you figure that puzzle out then it takes you to the next puzzle and so you're climbing your way up the mountain well once you see your alter ego your alter ego tries to kill you like on every one of those it's it's like swirling around and you're having is this to... a spoiler what no it's like a third of the way into the game you're trying to well okay spoiler right. alert 
it's trying to kill you as you as you're platforming through. I don't think it's a spoiler. I think it's actually early enough in the game that that's not a spoiler. I don't know what it is. Like from what I've heard, there is a really good story to this game, and um, you know I don't want to ruin it for anybody that's going to play like what actually the the story's about. And I can't because I don't know it. Um, it's just what I've heard. I've heard that there are like uh, mental health elements to it and things like that. So. Um, it's supposed to be a game. So there's enough to get you interested. So I think far. so. Yeah, that that what I heard was enough to get me interested. Then playing it, it it's even though it's pretty difficult. Um, when you figure out the puzzle and figure out like the pattern of whatever you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to coordinate the buttons uh, to get to the next platform, it's rewarding. It's like okay, I did it and I can go to the next one. And you can save at any point. So if you if you've died a hundred times, kind of like in Cuphead on one level. And then you finally beat it. Well, just save it right there. Come back to it later. You know. So um, it's been a lot of fun. But I, that's what I've been playing the most. And I love it, even though I know you'll give me a hard time. I love it on the Switch because it it kind of it's suited yeah, for a TV. Okay. It's suited for a TV. It's suited for any way you want to play it. But lately, I haven't been able to get to a console and play it on a console. So playing it on uh, a portable console has been really the only way I've been able to game lately. So, it's been it's been uh, an advantage. I'll just say it that way. Speaking of the only way to game, have you also been infected with the HQ virus? What what would the HQ virus be? So the HQ virus is this mobile game that's exploding all over the universe, and it is a trivia game. That's a live trivia game. They have like a presenter at set times each day. Yeah. And the prize is real cash money if you answer all 12 questions correct in a session. HK. Now, this is one I think you've mentioned HQ. before, right? HQ. HQ. No, it's I just I just downloaded it like last week. And okay. the like it's different in the U.S. versus the U.K. I think they give more pre- like prize money in the U.S., but you're also playing against more people. Right. In the U.K., the average like in a normal session is 750 U.S. dollars prize money, and then on Sunday at 9 p.m. there's a big grand prize of 2,500 U.S. dollars. Oh wow! And okay. basically, the the way the game works is so there are 12 questions. Um, if you invite people, you get an extra single use extra life. Um, but the questions like start off easy and, and they get really, really, really hard. Um, and you only have a few seconds to answer. So if you have somebody help you, they need to be like the fastest typer on the planet. So far, Frank has not been successful in that goal. <laughs> um, but if you make it all the way through without answering incorrect or running out Ooh, or running out of your free lives, then you split the pot with however many other people make it to the end. And usually it's less than like 20. Right. So the people okay. that make it to the end get between like the least amount of money I've seen people win is like $22. And the most I've seen is $150 each on a $750 game. Oh, wow. And That's on the big awesome. 2000 game, like, there's not very many winners at all. There's like free to 10 that split the big pot usually. Cause that's like harder, but anyway, it's free to play and everybody's going mad by it because there's a catch. 
it's financed by a prolific Trump supporter who also mm. finances Uber and Lyft. So people are like, like, oh, and Uber and sorry, not Lyft, Airbnb. So people are like, oh, boycott the game. It's financed by this dude. But then they're like, but do you also take Uber and stay in Airbnb? Because you know what I mean? Like, right. You have to go so somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm quite happy to like play it. I think it's quite cool. So far, I can't see like any particular catch because they don't seem to be serving any ads. And I'm assuming what they're going to do to me seems like their business model is probably going to be to sell lives at some point. Right. And to also have sponsored prizes instead of that's what I would assume they're going to go with this. Because it's free to download and it's free to play. And you could walk away with real money that they pay to your PayPal account, not even your own bank account. So it's not like they're even getting bank details out of this deal. So it's pretty cool. I recommend like having a look at it or whatever. It's super stressful because if you make it quite far, the furthest that I've made, I think, is to question eight. But you're like, oh, oh God, why did I miss it? I was almost <laughs> there. You know, but it's quite fun. And it's only um, set times each day. So it's not like a big time investment because worth once you're out, look. you're done. Yeah. Worth a look. So. Yeah. It's quite cool. Well, that brings us to our first topic today, which is uh, one that I'm anxious to get your opinion on. We've, we've touched on it before, but I think maybe you um, were, maybe you're privy to information that we are not, or I personally am not. Uh, I've discussed like the Activision algorithm. Uh, and other podcasts, uh, Jim Sterling in particular, has discussed or at least touched on it. But you wanted to, or you you brought up the idea that maybe uh, we should discuss this EA algorithm um, for multiplayer f- and, and and I guess just the nefarious nature of it. So tell the listeners, I guess, what is this algorithm? Kind of explain it in terms that maybe even I can understand and, and, uh, and why maybe this is such a, a big deal. Okay, so basically this algorithm is essentially like matchmaking logic that's determined to make you want to buy microtransactions. So essentially, the the way the multiplayer games are coded, and as far as we know, this is applying to most recent multiplayer games. Um, so the first thing it does, it identifies a microtransaction item that might be relevant to player one, yeah? Then it finds a player two that has that thing. Right, right. Then it matches those two players together. So the player who doesn't have it sees the player who does. Yeah. Okay. Then if the first player purchases that item, they immediately put him in the, a session for which that item is like the winning item where it's effective and useful. Right. If they don't, then it updates their profile to say that that tactic didn't work. Now, it doesn't show what the second slide of this presentation would have been, which is what I as- assume is their um, their algorithm for increasing customer lifetime value, which is a common like business term, especially in marketing. But it's essentially about finding the circumstances in which you will purchase the same frequency, but a higher value 
or purchase the same value, but at a higher frequency. Yeah. Um, it's used a lot in casino gaming, which is why when I saw this algorithm, I was like quite surprised because, um, with all the stuff going around about loot boxes and things like that, this is essentially the same school of thought is that you can train people that microtransactions are important and valuable if you ensure that the next experience they have with the game, that item is useful. Yeah, yeah. So then you're drawing that like Pavlov's dog response. When I buy this thing, I become a better player. Yeah. Now, we've talked before about the other, um, was it Activision? I can't remember which yeah, one, exactly. but they were Activision talking about, one, yeah. okay, where they were talking about, um, if you, um, if you are losing a long time, then they put you in an easier match so that you get your confidence back or whatever. That's also, it's called, it's called player retention theory and it's used in casino gaming as well. So it's, it's not like a trick of the trade or anything. There are loads of books about this. It's kind of common knowledge, but essentially if somebody is on a losing streak in a casino, oftentimes per personnel will identify that person and offer them something complimentary or an experience away from the table so that they mentally reset their track record yeah because when it comes to something that you think you are good at you tend to remember your successes a bit more than when you didn't do well so if you think you are good at gambling or whatever skiing who knows what you tend to remember all the times that you've been awesome <laughs> rather than all the times that you did badly and if you want to test this theory just try to think back into the mind the last time that you had a catastrophically bad multiplayer match that wasn't someone else's fault. Right, yeah. It's really hard to think about. So when the reason why I want to talk about this is that playing multiplayer games is sort of opening yourself up for this sort of psychological manipulation. And it's the same sort of psychological manipulation that you're going to get in every other aspect of your life where you're expected to buy something. So when you walk into a supermarket and milk is in the back left corner, well, it's there because that's the direction that people typically walk around a supermarket, which is like, I think it's counterclockwise in the U.S. and clockwise in the U.K. or reverse. Ironically, we do it differently. But, you know, I think that's because the roads are backwards. That's my guess. <laughs> um but they put it at the back. So you have to go past everything else and be tempted with those impulse purchases. Um, same thing. Like they have the big end caps at the end with specials and deals because you think that those are going to be lower priced items. While a lot of the times they're just items that maybe were towards the bottom of the shelf or whatever you just never looked at before. So these sort of things kind of incentivize you to make extra purchases you weren't planning on doing. And this sort of same logic it's probably been applied to video games for a long time, but only now with the rise in popularity of incremental transactions and incremental revenue have they been able to actually do this during the experience. Prior to the rise of microtransactions, there was no way for them to prize 
any extra money out of your pocket aside from day one when you decided what version of the game to purchase. Right, which that is even new. You know, that, that didn't always used to be the case. It used to be the uh, you, whatever purchase you made was the purchase you made. You buy the, the definitive edition was the only edition. And so uh, nowadays it's, you, you know, you can get, you know, content that's been, uh, that's been kept behind a gate or a paywall uh, that's completed and already in the game. And, and, you know, I think that's kind of what we're talking about. It's a different issue uh, maybe than this algorithm because the algorithm really pertains to, I would say, games that have a strong multiplayer component, right, an online component. That's generally what these algorithms are for, or, or uh, the games that they lend themselves to, at least from a success standpoint. Uh, and, you know, other podcasts have, have demonstrated, and other shows have demonstrated, maybe the I don't, danger may be the wrong word, but just maybe the nefarious nature of this stuff, how it's meant to tr- fool people. You know, there some of this is actually meant to, let's say, for instance, um, uh, the the uh, oh man Fortnite sorry Fortnite I could I was I kept wanting to say Far Cry because that's what you're playing uh, Fortnite um, if you if you haven't seen that game or if you haven't really taken a look at it it's it's more cell shaded so it you know I think it, it lends itself to more of a, a, a to a younger crowd um, when my son started playing it he assumed that you had to make purchases. Like, the only way I can earn this armor is if I purchase it. And I see all these people that have it, you know, and I only have one character model choice. And the only way for me to get it is to pony up $19 for this game that's free. And, I was, and you know, and I said, well, only because I'm experienced, uh, I knew that that didn't sound right. That if that is the only way I can get it, that you need to, we need to play another game. You know, you don't need to play this game because I'm I'm not giving you the money to do that. Um, yeah. But as we did a little bit of research, yeah, there there are daily missions you can do that do give you you know the in-game currency, and so that allows you uh, after a certain amount of time to earn enough to purchase those things in-game. Now it is a grind, uh, and so yes, it is easier. And and I don't think that many of these. Uh, things you can actually purchase with real currency give you any kind of advantage. I think it's more aesthetic, more just, uh, you know, of a look difference. But, I mean, that's part of these games. I mean, some of us, and I would say you're probably included, spend a a large portion of time at the beginning crafting the look of our characters. You know, you want to have an individualized character. So I can. Oh yeah, understand. I can spend forty-five minutes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I think that that's uh, that's completely fair to say that that's important, uh, and and uh, you know, Jim Sterling, and and this is something that we'll cover in another topic. But Jim Sterling brought up uh, that you know the argument that maybe some of these games like Overwatch. And uh, you know some of these big AAA titles that have all of these miniature or microtransactions within should be free to play. Just the, you, the game is free to play. If you want any of this other stuff, then you got to buy it. And yeah, the argument and I, is, I think that's right. Yeah, and and I had a hard time disagreeing. I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. If that's the if that's the 
the type of game you're going to make, and it's a multiplayer game, then build it, make it, and release it free. And if you want these other things, then they're behind a paywall. And at least it's all out in the open. And in the end, they may even make more money. Because I'll tell you what, you're yeah. going to get more people to play it if it's free. I'm telling you, my son would not have played Fortnite had it not been free. And now that it's free, we've spent probably 40 or 50 bucks on it, you know, and that's, yeah. that's one anecdotal bit of evidence. But at the very least, I mean, that's, that should say something that there are people that are out there that would definitely play it because it's free. And from there you got them in the door and you can get money from them. So, um, I'm discouraged. By so the, fact the last that thing, what, what's that? No, go ahead. Finish your thought. I was going to say, I'm discouraged to hear that this is the direction that a lot of these gaming companies are going. It shouldn't be surprising, though, that they're going to try to get as much money from us as possible. You know, and uh, it is a business after all. Uh, and so, all the money. you know, I get it. They didn't make it just for me. But. <laughs> well, if I, I'm going to call the next thing that you're probably going to see and this is just based off of my experience. So there's there's a known tenant in casino gaming where a close to the win is as good enough as a win. And psychologically speaking, when you're playing things like slots or whatever, if you were, say, one symbol away from getting the jackpot, your brain releases the same amount of chemicals, happiness chemicals, as if you had actually won. So if they're implementing these sort of psychological tenants, my next guess is that there's going to be a lot more points given for environmental and incidental damage in multiplayer games. So what I mean by that is, is that in order to narrow the playing field even further between the person who won and the person at the bottom, they're probably going to start allowing more things like style points or assists become worth more because the less difference there is between the person at the bottom and the person at the top, the more likely the person is going to continue playing because the barrier to winning is perceived as smaller and they are just as happy with their result as if they had actually won psychologically. So I think the days of straight up kick kill counts where it's this guy got seven kills and you got one kill and that's it are going to be far behind us. I'm already seeing that sort of thing happen um, in the more recent halos where you get lots of points for assists and things like that. And I think that's just going to become more common when they realize that the closer the scoreboard is to each other, the more likely that people are going to continue playing. It increases the duration of their session. Um, if if it's a uh, if it's a low volatility game, right, game, which means that the peaks and troughs aren't so obvious. Um, so that that's what I'm calling is the next trend. So right now they've done two things that I know psychologically have been done in the gambling business for a long time. The first one is after a streak of losses, they disrupt the session by matching you with a lower skilled player so that you have a win. Casinos do the same thing by taking you away from the table for a few minutes so you forget about that like session. That's common, yeah. The second thing is is by showing you what someone else has 
and making you want that thing and showing how, how that thing is useful. So your VIP access, your VIP cards, your upgraded drinks, you know, all that sort of stuff, very similar. It, it creates that like sort of envy and use kind of paradox. Right. So I want this thing. Look how useful this thing is. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then yeah. the last one I think is going to be making the bridging the gap between the lowest player and the highest player. So the scoreboard looks a lot more close and it's technically anyone's game. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And then you know what? Maybe it's age or where I am in life and in, in my interest in gaming. It just that particular concept pushes me out of even wanting to play, you know, anything that's not this HQ game <laughs> in terms of like multiplayer experiences, you know, uh, it, that, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, that is very, that's fascinating. I think that's interesting. I think we'll be keeping an eye on this. This is something that's going to continue to be in the news, I think, um, with the loot box scandal. I, we could almost use that as the term. Uh, and if and, Jim Sterling says it next week, hashtag copyright retro rebel. I'm just saying <laughs> this is going up and we're going to, we're putting it in the description. We said it first. So, <laughs> although Jim, if you're listening, I mean, big fan. Well, that topic is brought to you by our sponsor, audible.com. Audible has been around for almost 20 years, providing a great service for you, the listeners. Help us out by heading over to audible.com and check out their trial service of a free audiobook and 30 day trial by entering audibletrial.com slash Toddcast. Amanda, what is our recommendation this week? Our recommendation this week is Elon Musk. Uh, now the billionaire CEO of SpaceX and Tesla is shaping our future. Um, it's 13 hours and 23 minutes. It's narrated by a guy named Fred Sanders. But basically it talks about Elon Musk, what he's doing, like his goals, Ned the project that he's working on. And I think it's really relevant. Fred Sanders. Oh, I thought Ned Flanders. <laughs> Did was I say doing Ned Flanders? It. I don't know, but it's no. better if he was doing the Fred narration. <laughs> no. Um, but I think it's really relevant given the recent launch of the Heavy. And uh, you can pick that up with your free trial. Just shooting his car into space. Fantastic. What a badass. I know. It is pretty awesome. Stay calm. You can head over to audibletrial.com slash Toddcast to get that free title now, or you can choose from over 180,000 other titles today. Support us by heading to audibletrial.com slash Toddcast and get your free 30-day trial started today. Topic number two, and uh, another one that I was anxious to get your opinion on. Last week, we discussed the Labo and the N Nintendo Switch. One year later, uh, Daniel was on, and, and uh, as I think it's no secret, uh, he is a huge Nintendo fanboy, and I'm probably pretty close. Um, I do not have my credit card in the direct debit 5000 uh, like he does. Are but, you uh, sure about that? Are no, you bloody I'm sure? I'm not. I'm not. Sure about that? I'm not. I'm not <laughs> even. I wasn't even sure or confident when I said it. But uh, anyway, so one of the things though we that we kind of focused on, and we definitely got some feedback from you, was the Labo. So this was a Nintendo Direct announcement in January where they where they announced a and I, it's hard to argue that it's not innovative this innovative concept of coming up with a uh, cardboard peripheral attachments for the Nintendo Switch 
Uh, it's being released. The Labo is being released, I believe, with a game and the initial starter pack. And I think there are different packs that you can buy um, that uh, will give you different games that you can play and different, you know, different ways to interact with the Labo software. Um, but initially, you know, based on kind of what you know, what are your thoughts on the the Labo? <laughs> I can't even say with a straight face knowing what you're going to say. And uh, yeah. so what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's start with the obvious. Yeah. Okay. People say that it's innovative, but Google made the Google Cardboard goggles like two years ago. So if anyone's innovating in the cardboard peripheral technology sector, Google did it first. Um, and theirs were, I think, five bucks. Um, and you used it with your pre-existing hardware. So I think my number one criticism is that the peripheral part of it costs $10 for just the cardboard. And looking at the applications, the fishing rod is going to break in five seconds worth of use. Like, this is not a thing for kids. Yeah. Kids are, they need something durable. Right. They could have made it out of plastic. You know what I mean? They could have made it out of connect sets, something like rebuildable. Um, They could have made it out of anything. Lego. I mean, you know, I just feel like the choice to make it out of cardboard, the second somebody tips a Mountain Dew over it, it's ruined. You know, it's going to shred itself to pieces within a few hours of use. Like, I, I game fairly gently, but even my Xbox One controller's X button is, like, sticky. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it just, it, it, it's not going to hold up. So... I get the argument where people are like, yeah, but the game is like 50 bucks and then you're paying 10 quid for the, um, the cardboard. But I've not seen anywhere where they said you could just buy the replacement cardboard, even though the idea of paying $10 to keep this thing alive consistently is a nightmare. I'm not seeing where it comes unbundled. So for me, is it the reality where you buy this thing and when it does initially, like eventually break, it's not usable anymore is it just done are you just playing it with the normal you know switch controller like you could have done from the beginning without the extra ten dollars stacked on i don't know i'm very yeah critical of that and i think that's fair i think it's fair to be critical of that because yeah it is cardboard if it gets wet it's just not durable um that was my initial I guess, red flag when I saw it. I was like, man. But the kid in me also was like, I would have killed to have some of this stuff, even if it was just for a day. When I was, I guess I was, I'm not sure how old I would have been, maybe 10? When uh, maybe Ghostbusters, or maybe 9 when Ghostbusters came out? No, I was 8. Well, anyway, when it was like at the height of its popularity and I'd actually seen it, I was about 10 years old. Because I remember, because I was some of my 10-year-old friends and I, had built our own proton packs out of cardboard. Um, And, you know, just the imagination that it takes and the imagination that I think that this taps into, I think that, that that it should at least be noted. 
that uh, that there is uh, just a tremendous amount of creativity that went into this. I don't think that they went into it thinking this is the this is a cheap way to create a product uh, that we can market to kids that we can make a lot of money on. I, I don't. I just really don't think that's the case. However, I don't think that it's very durable, and I don't think it's that uh, in the end it's going to be you know that that practical like i i think i probably would buy it and as a parent would probably be the one putting it together and then the one that's also probably using it the most and see my my thing about that is it goes back to the six hot dog buns and the eight hot dogs right. like you know what i mean either they yeah. want you to buy an extra pack of unusable buns or throw away two hot dogs right they want you to spend the extra money because you feel bad that you're going to be wasting food. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm disappointed that the cardboard feature came bundled with the game. They could have easily made these downloadable printable plans that you could trace out on your own bloody cardboard for a dollar. You know what I mean? Right. They could have yeah. done like, there's so many other ways that it could have been executed. It could have been, like, very thin sheets of aluminum. Yeah? That would have been yeah. just as lightweight. Right. But it would have been worth... Honestly, if it was, like, a rector set, yeah, yeah, made out of metal or plastic, something slightly more durable, I don't think I would have been as hard on them. But the fact that they're trying to sell you something you have lying around the house, when it could have just given you downloadable plans to be able to cut it out and craft it yourself you know yeah it's kind of you know they've been making wood building kits for 50 years they couldn't even make it out of wood <laughs> wood just yeah I, I definitely don't think wood would work uh plastic definitely uh, you know i don't i don't know i don't have a good argument other than i think from a creativity standpoint it's very creative uh it's I mean, think of the work about punching out cardboard piano, a cardboard piano. I mean, first that of all, I can't makes me want to cry in my soul. You could oh, well, I know. make one. You could make one yourself. You could figure it out. Surely. Oh, I'm sure. You know I what I would like to see? You know what I wish this was? You know what I wish this was, though? Yeah. And what I haven't seen them actually do before is whenever they come out with these, like, things that you snap your controllers in to play with, yeah, there's no real variety in what those things are. And okay. no one else really sees them but yourself. What I would have liked to see from a portable gaming system is fully malleable plastic controllers that you, like, slide your Switch to that you can take over to your mate's house, and you there's, like, 50 different guns that you can choose from, and then you have a custom gun that you can show your friend and you can like get sticker packs to like extra like make it look cool like that would have been fun but instead we're playing with cardboard like we're five <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and so maybe that's the thing it's, it's just truly not marketed to us but the idea that it's not going to be very durable i don't know how practical that is as a parent to purchase you know so well it was a good are you going to be one. No, I will not. I will I think not that's be the question. This. No. Thank, thank goodness. The one <laughs> sensible thing that you said. Maybe the clause and direct debit five thousand aren't firmly. They are not your wallet. They are not. 
They are not. There's still hope. <laughs> There's still hope. Well, good. Excellent. Well, that brings us to our last, our last section, our featured favorite. Featured favorites are not necessarily the most critical or critically acclaimed, but they are our favorites, and so we don't really care. And uh, so we add these to our running list, and they, this will be posted on our site. So our featured favorites for this week, uh, Amanda, what is your featured favorite? So I'm going to lump two games together because I feel like sometimes I'm a bit cheeky and I go like, now I'm going to say Mass Effect 3. <laughs> but this time I'm, I'm going to lump two games together. One before, one because um, its predecessor is like not as good as, as the recent version as far as controllability. Um, I'm going to go with South Park, both the Stick of Truth and the Fractured Butt Hole. Right. Um, <laughs> Giggity. <laughs> Exactly. I'm going to lump them together because I actually played them in the wrong order. I never thought I would be interested in a South Park game. I like the shows, but I thought like after eight hours, it would be like a quite tired concept. But yeah. every new mission was hilarious and unexpected. So when I played the recent one, the fractured butt hole, I, I um, really enjoyed it. Like there were lots of inside jokes like, I'm in there, like, which I was just dying, and you have to be an adult to, like, get some of the things, and I thought it was really quite clever. Um, and the combat system from it was really awesome. So you would choose a move, and it would show you its effective area. Um, and then once you choose that move, it just goes off. You don't have to do anything else. And it's turn-based, so you can kind of take your time. So if you need to get up, answer the door, whatever, you're not missing anything. You just right. trigger it and then get up and do whatever. Um, which I thought was quite good. When I went back and played the first one, turns out that that was not the way the game originally played. It originally played much worse, where <laughs> you chose uh, you chose an attack, and then you had to do like a, essentially a quick time event every single time in order to actually hit more than like one damage. Um, now, the more you play it, the more you get used to doing this. But it was just one of those things where if you're doing turn-based combat, it should be more about the strategy of chaining attacks together and less about mashing a button at a specific time. I found that really tiresome to the point where I stopped using the full range of attacks that I had available as a character simply because the quick time event on them was particularly annoying and I failed at it more often than I was successful and it ended up just being a wasted move. Which was a shame because in the fractured butt hole, I used every attack that was available because I wanted to see what the animation was. And the animations were like awesome and funny. I didn't do that. In fact, most of the time I didn't even change my companion in the stick of truth. So, so I'm lumping them together because their story is really funny. It's absurd. It's over the top. There's lots of inside jokes. You can go to Tom's rhinoplasty and then walk out looking like, um, who's that really hairy guy? I can't even remember. But anyway, from Baywatch, um, David Hasselhoff. There we oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's really funny. And you're just walking around with this literal photo of David <laughs> Hasselhoff as your head. That was quite hilarious. Um, in the fractured butt hole, they ha tell you in one of the tool tips to go attack Morgan Freeman. He has like nine, like thousand health and he like regenerates things and whatever. He's like almost impossible to kill. I didn't kill him. Like he whooped my butt and I used like every potion I had in my entire inventory. Um, <laughs> so there's just like 
things in there where it's really funny. And so that's my featured favorite. I'm going to take the two together because I feel like if you play the first one first, then you'll be thankful for the improvements made in the second one and you'll enjoy the story regardless. Well, that sold it for me. Um, I definitely, I wanted to play it anyway. Uh, but, um, for me, uh, you know, I was, I, I will, I really am not struggling to pick games that I think are my favorites because there are so many, but what I, I guess what I was struggling with is, you know, is this a game that I would go back and play or are these games that I would recommend to people who, if, you know, if I only had a, a you know, a, a short list, what games would be on it? You know, if I could only list a certain mm-hmm. number of games and, in the last year, I I played a few games that I thought were really good, that I thought deserved to be on this, to, to be on a best list, but maybe not the featured favorites. You know, with uh, you know our our favorites list or our, our game of the year awards that we did, we had a lot of games that were worthy of that. But one game that I keep coming back to, and it's the game that I would recommend. Uh, it's only on PC, at least for now, um, or last I checked. And it is just very difficult to explain, and that's Pyre. Um, God damn it, I knew it was going to be Pyre. The second <laughs> you started saying it, I was like, yeah. here it bloody comes. That's right. Rocket it's, tanks with something or other, football, yeah, soccer, something. Yeah, it's, it's soccer take football magic with a star and a caravan, and you're in hell, and you've got a party that's fluid, you've got... Uh, you do have a story, and and it's fantastic music. Um, very unique experience. I've never played another game like it, and you know it's w- probably to me it's one of my highest recommendations. I just don't know that it's for everybody, but I, I would recommend it to anybody that's interested in games to give it a shot. I swear I went into it literally having no explanation other than the recommendation of someone that that uh, you know plays games and plays all sorts of games. So. It's not like they just play whatever you could call this. Um, you know, you can. There is a competitive nature. You can play Rocket against League other people. Magic Mages. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but that's the thing is you can play uh, multiplayer games. So if you know what you're doing, you can pick these characters, assemble your own team, and play against another actual player. Um, or, you know, as I did and do with most games, you play, uh, you know, the, the narrative portion of it, and then you just go through... Um, the story so that is my that is my featured favorite and i recommend anybody to play it even even amanda (laughs) you want to know something funny about earlier in this podcast when i was saying like how long do you have to play a game before you can say you actually played it i actually booted a game that i didn't mention called helsing traps of darkness or something like this and when I booted it, it went immediately in explaining it was like a MOBA-style MOBA trap-laying game, and I just uninstalled it. <laughs> <laughs> MOBA-style trap-laying, and you're like, nope. Trap-laying game. Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Uh, so when you say Rocket League made something or other, I'm like, nah. It, it's definitely not Rocket League. Um, it's more like a, it, it, like I said, it's more like a football slash basketball but it's got a um a just watch a video on it you know and and if that if you can explain it better if that doesn't can, convince you well if that doesn't if that if that gives you a better explanation even if you don't play it but you can tell me what it is i would love to hear it so excellent yeah that wraps up this episode of retro rebel gamecast i want to thank amanda for this week's discussion 
All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. Any questions or comments, feel free to sound off or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. Please head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you download and rate us, because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later. Bye.